You're listening to Hebrews Jesus is Better series, preached by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. Hebrews chapter 2. Let me remind you that last week we were in chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. And we're coming to chapter 2, which is the first warning passage in the book of Hebrews. There's actually five of them. This is the first. But let me also remind you that chapter 2 does not stand alone. The fact is that in chapter 1, verses 5 through 14, last week we saw this string of pearls that the pastor was using to exposit the Old Testament in light of Christ. Which reminds us this morning that um, the exposition, which is the comprehensive description or explanation of Scripture, is not an end in itself. That when we open up the Word of God, it's not just, well, here's what the Word says, and here's what it meant to them, and that's it. We, We don't just open it to fill our heads with knowledge. The truth is, the pastor here in Hebrews 2 is going to use what he just explained from chapter 1, not just the exposition of it, but now he will exhort the believers who are listening to his explanation. There is something he strongly wants them to do. Not just sit there, but do something. And this is the heart of all real teaching and preaching. Not just to, this is the word, this is what it says, Have a good day. This is the word. This is what it says. This is what it meant to them. This is what it means to us. Now, do something about it. And so we come now to chapter 2 in light of that. And let's just read the first four verses as far as we'll get today. Verse number 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Literally, Pay attention, because I don't want you to drift. That's what it means. We'll talk about it in a moment. So this morning, don't drift off to sleep or anywhere else, because this is important. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to his own will. Okay, so you have been here long enough to know this. In chapter 2, verse 1, when he says, Therefore, what does that mean? What's it there for? Right? It's not just therefore. So we come to chapter 2, and the writer or the speaker is reminding us, I'm about to tell you something in light of what I just said. Therefore. So what was just said in verses 5 through 14, to sum it up for you, is this. Jesus is superior to angels. Okay? That's what he says. Uh, 
And what he's trying to do there is to encourage this group of weary saints who are ready to quit, ready to chuck in the towel, ready to say, is it worth it anymore? I'm not even sure if I'm showing up on Sunday for the gathering. He wants them to know it is worth it. Don't minimize Jesus. Don't compromise who he is. Because the writer knows that your ability and my ability to endure will be in direct proportion to how we clearly see Jesus Christ and what he has done. So he just said to these folks, listen, Christ Jesus is superior to the angels. How? Well, he gave us three points in these string of pearls. Number one, he inherited a title. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. That Jesus Christ, the second person in the Trinity, robes himself in flesh, the incarnate God. And he receives a name. He's inherited a name. And the name is the Son. The Son. Declared the Son in his resurrection. So he is superior because he is a Son. Number two, he's superior to angels because they serve him. As the creator of all things means that angels are part of the all things, which means Christ created them. Therefore, he does not serve them. They do his bidding. And finally, he said he is superior because he is the sovereign king of the universe. Jesus Christ rolled out creation. He will wrap it up. Everything changes. He stays the same. And there is coming a day when Christ himself will rule and reign forever, and there will be justice and holiness on this wretched planet. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So, he tells us this. And it, this provides the ground for challenging his hearers to resist the temptation of disregarding their Christian commitment, of drifting away. Because Christ is better, he wants us to pay attention. So, notice the wheeze of the First verse, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Notice here the author is identifying himself with the listeners. We, right? He's not just preaching to every, it's like we. You understand that? We better pay attention because Jesus Christ is better. We must hold fast to what we have heard lest we drift away. It literally means drift away. That word uh, slip away there is used a couple ways. One is the idea of a ring slipping off your finger. When I was 18 years old, I had orders from the military to go to Europe in January to Frankfurt, Germany. In 1987, the next two years were some of the coldest years in Germany since World War II. At 18, I arrived in Rhein-Main Air Force Base, Rhein-Main, yeah, in Frankfurt. 
had my duffel bag ready to go. They called my name and put 20 guys in a deuce and a half. Anybody know what a deuce and a half is? It's a two and a half ton truck, right? With a canvas top. No heater in the back. You sissies. And for an hour and a half, we drove north to a little town called Bad Hurstfield. I was so cold. My core temperature, I, I, I honestly thought, there were several times in my life I thought I'd freeze death. Two were in Europe. This was one of them. We finally got to the base. It was like 1 in the morning, and I remember putting my duffel bag down and finding the showers, turning on the hot water, and when I was done, I looked at my finger, and my ring was gone. It had slipped off. My hands were so cold, they were just bones. And fortunately, I looked in the drain, and there was my ring. So it all worked out. Don't be nervous about it. This is not the same one. This is rubber. All right? So, but the idea was I had no clue that it had just slipped off my hand. And the word's used like that. But there's another sense in this word, and I think this is more in line with what we're talking about. It's a nautical illustration. When you tie your boat to the dock, or you anchor in the middle of the lake or the ocean, and before you know it, the anchor has come undone, or the ropes have come undone, and you're busy, and you look up, and all of a sudden, the place where you want it to be is not where you're at. Because what has happened is, you have drifted away. It's not intentional. It is a moment of inattention. It is imperceptible at times. But this is what he's talking about. He says, we better pay close attention lest we drift away. And now he's going to use a technique uh, in verse number two um, on comparing a lesser thing to a greater thing. He says, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. We'll stop there. For, since, because. So what he's going to do now is he's going to say, if, if this is the case on something that's lesser and not important, and you're in trouble for this, how much more for something greater? So let me give you an idea where we're headed, because this will make sense to you. We raised three boys. We have four, we raised three, the other was a gift. And I can't tell you how many times we said to those kids, stay out of the puddles. Right? I, I don't know if it's the same with girls, but boys are attracted to puddles. And so it's like, hey, we're heading off to church, you got your shoes on, stay out of the puddle, or if your shoes get wet, you're in trouble. Can you hear me, parents, right? Okay. So, that's the lesser thing. If you get your shoes wet, you're in trouble. So the kid comes back, and he jumped in the pond, and his clothes are wet. So the idea is, if you thought it was a bad thing to get your shoes wet, how much more that your clothes are drenched? Right? The lesser thing says, if this is trouble, then the greater thing, of course, is going to be trouble as well. And here's what he says the lesser thing is for us who are tempted to drift. The lesser thing is angels and the old covenant, the law. Um, we don't 
We don't find in our Old Testament that there were angels on Mount Sinai when the law came. The Septuagint speaks of it in Deuteronomy 32. There's a verse there. But the Jewish community always associate these angelic beings with being on the mountain with the Lord and Moses. Look what Stephen says in his great speech before his martyrdom in Acts chapter 7, verse 38. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, receiving the word, the law. He jumps down to verse 53 who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Again, Stephen and the Jewish community said, we think and we believe that angels were present. Paul says the same thing, Galatians 3.19. Wherefore, then serves the law. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. And so, when, when the writer of Hebrews says, listen, here's the lesser thing. Angels gave the law, and it was firm, and it was true, and it was right. And then he says, all sin under that deserved punishment. If you think about the law, there were lots of punishments. Some were just retribution. If I took something, I paid it back four times. Unless it was a human being, then I died. Boy, I think we could solve maybe our crime problem if the next time a guy stole from my garage or my car or my house again... He would pay me back four times. It would, it would solve a lot of problems. Or we could do what they do in Iran and just cut his hand off. right? I, but still, that doesn't change the heart. Because you'd steal with your tongue if you had to. Right? It works. But the law was punishment. I read this by John Phillips this week and did not know this. He said the death penalty was added for at least one form of transgression under each of the Ten Commandments. Which means every Ten Commandment that we know, there was one thing that you could transgress against that was the death penalty, right? And so, basically, the Old Testament, given by God and apparently angels, was this. If you obey, you live. If you disobey, you die. That's pretty simple. And we're, we're quick to say, oh, man, it's, but listen to me. Doesn't that show us how God does not deal with any sin lightly? And the reason he doesn't is because all sin destroys. But this is a lesser thing. And the writer says, hey, look it. If under the Old Testament, given by angels, if that was firm, and that was the thing, and every punishment was meted out in justice, how much more? For those who neglect this great salvation. The, the greater thing is Jesus and the new covenant. And so he's making a comparison. Hey, if the Old Testament was like that, and you broke it and you were in trouble, how much more sinning against Jesus Christ, who we just saw his glory, his power, his majesty, and this new covenant that says, I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to live within you. And look what he says about this great salvation. Verse number three. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord? Why is this salvation great? Because it started with Jesus Christ. While Jesus was on this planet, he proclaimed the good news. He said, I am the bread of life. Hungry soul this morning, listen to me. 
You will not find satisfaction in anything, ultimately, other than Christ. You can run from this or to this and to that and be filled, but you know it is empty. It will never satisfy your soul. You can fill it with money, stuff, sex, drugs, comfort, you name it. It will never satisfy. Jesus is the bread of life. He completely satisfies. Completely. He said, I'm the light of the world. My friend, you don't have to grope in darkness today. You don't have to grope in darkness. And this world is dark. We call evil good and good evil. It's a dark world. You don't have to grope in it. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. I am the door. Which means, I am the only way. Nobody else is coming in or coming out but through me. And it's amazing what Jesus says about that door passage from John chapter 10. He's talking about the shepherd and the sheep. He says, when you know me and you come in through me, then you can go in and out and find pasture. What does he mean? That the Christian life is good and joyous and full and lots and lots of freedom. He goes on to say, I am the good shepherd. I gave my life for the sheep. I provide, I restore, I am the resurrection and the life. He brings life to the physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually dead. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And he says, I am the vine. Without me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus Christ makes this great salvation what it is because he proclaimed it. It came first by him. But there's a second thing he says. Not only is it great because of Christ, but he says it was then confirmed by the apostles. They were credible witnesses. Listen, people who just say, ah, I don't believe in Christianity, never really check out the facts. These 11 men had nothing to gain by telling a lie, but had everything to lose. Everything. Listen to me. In our own human nature, if I lie to you and I found out, oh, stink, I just lied, and the punishment now is, being caught in this, that if I don't fess up, I'm going to pay for it with money, or I'm going to go to jail for it, or maybe even lose my life for it, guess what? i got to change a heart. It's like, okay, 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 here's the truth, right? That's not what any of these men did. The fact is, when push came to shove, and they were called on the carpet for what they said they had witnessed, not one of them denied their faith. Every one of them died. My friend, nobody dies for a lie. Nobody. Even the fanatics who blow themselves up believe that it's true. These men would have known it's not true, and yet this great salvation comes. They were witnesses. Not only that, he says that God testified by miraculous works. This great salvation that we enjoy, God testified by miracles. And again, you search the Bible, it's like, oh, the Bible is full of miracles. It's not. Miracles come along when God is talking about redemptive history. When Moses comes out with the children of Israel, the Exodus, right? He redeemed those people and miraculous signs followed. It proved that. And then there's not much that happens until Elijah and Elijah where the kingdom was going toward apostasy. Lots of miracles. And the next big time it comes is when Jesus Christ shows up and the gospel goes out. They attest and validate redemptive history. They prove that what was being said is true. 
And then he says, this great salvation comes from gifts from the Holy Spirit. Spiritual gifts are not an end to themselves to be used for our personal or private enjoyment. They're to testify of Christ and edify the church. And, and you know what's interesting to me? That, that the writer says, I want you to tell about this great salvation. He talks about miracles and he talks about signs. You would not say that unless these people heard of it or witnessed it, which speaks volumes for our faith. Listen, my friend, the Christian faith is not a blind faith leaping in the dark. It is built on facts. It is confidence in what God has said. We find it in the context of human history, right? Real people, real places, real events. We can trust and encourage, be encouraged in Christ. The Jesus of history is the Christ of our faith. He is the one and the same. So, he says, this great salvation, how shall we escape if we neglect it? Listen to what's being said, and listen carefully. It is more blameworthy to sin against love than against the law. It is more blameworthy to ignore God's mercy than to break his law. I'm not saying this morning break his law. I'm not saying neglect his law. But what I'm saying is, when the writer of Hebrews is encouraging us, he says, listen, something lesser is binding angels in the law. Something greater is bigger. And it's Jesus and the covenant. There is no escape if we neglect this salvation. Now, let me just make two comments about these two words and make three points and I'm done this morning. This warning in Hebrews chapter 2 is real. This is a real warning. And you can tell by the pronouns, the author is saying, we, this is going to come into play later on in the other portions, like especially chapter 6, these warnings, this is real. This is a real warning to the church. Pay attention, listen, pay attention lest you drift. But it's conditional. You don't have to. Notice the word neglect. It means to be careless of, to make light of, with no regard. He's not warning those who rejected Christianity. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about people who are neglecting their Christianity. He's not talking about rejection here. The greatness of Christ, our Savior, is slipping away. And his glory and his person and who he is is now on the back burner. They no longer marvel at the person of Christ. They have neglected this great salvation. It is not an overt renunciation of the gospel at all, but a detaching ourselves increasingly from public profession until it ceases to have any influence in our lives anymore. Neglect. Believer, have you neglected this great salvation? Here's what we all do. No, Jesus is the answer. I love Jesus. Jesus is preeminent. Jesus is first. Jesus is my all in all. Fine. But what about in your daily life when you leave the church? What about 24-7 and at work tomorrow or in your home this afternoon or in your priorities and your spending? I'm telling you something. We have neglected this great salvation. We have let it slip. And eventually, it has no place in our lives. And then he says the word drift away. Again, it is not intentional, but it's careless. It is subtle. It is undetected. Many of you folks have been fishing enough or on a boat enough to know. You can drop an anchor, and you can think you're secure, and you can fish for hours, and before you know it, you end up in Cleveland. Right? When we're in the ocean, we fish, 
and we always try to find these mile markers, and we, we drop the anchor, we start to fish, and after about 20 or 30 minutes, we look, and the mile marker, which was here, is now there. We never noticed, we never felt it, until we saw how far we had drifted. It is subtle, but it's always away from the firm and stable land, or always away from the fountainhead, the source of life. And Christians, listen to me this morning. We don't drift into holiness. Nobody does. We drift away. So, let me give you three points, and I'm done. The writer says, take heed, pay attention, lest we drift away. Don't neglect the salvation for, for us today. Number one, number one, be mindful. what he says. Be mindful. This great salvation demands our attention. Believer, do you understand the privilege that we have? Okay, let's just, the privilege we have right now to be in this room without any fear of any harm whatsoever. Do you understand that the majority of the world doesn't even experience that? There are brothers and sisters in Christ today who will huddle in a room or a basement or in the woods, afraid to be caught with the word of God in their hands. And if they're caught, it's not if they're going to jail. They are. It's not if they're going to be tortured. They will. It's not if they're going to lose everything. They do. So just in that, but listen, do you understand this morning that we are privileged to sit here as those who were lost in the darkness of sin and night separated from God, and by his grace and mercy, he saved us. He redeemed us. He washed us clean. We can sit and say, listen, the God of heaven took upon humanity, lived, died, was buried, and rose again for me. And if you think this is not a big deal, we cannot even calculate the value of our pardon because... For all eternity, we will be amazed at the height, the breadth, the length, and the depth of the love of God for us. So, we ought to be mindful. Mindful. Do you ever leave a service on Sunday morning and ever think about what was just said? Do you ever during the week stop and think about Christ and who he is? Or do we leave this place, turn on the radio to some nonsense, watch TV all afternoon, go to bed, and never once think about Christ? Listen to me. Be mindful. Mindful. Number two, be careful. This is a favorite phrase by mothers. Be careful. Or my wife, if I'm driving. Be careful. Be careful. And I've learned now not to kill the messenger. She really wants me to be careful. She wants me to live. It's not a bad thing. Be careful. Be careful because it's a slow fade. Drifting is imperceptible. Listen to this song by Casting Crowns. I won't do the whole thing, but I think it makes the point better than I could this morning. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's a second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. 
Be careful, little feet, where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. When flattery leads to compromise, the end is always near. Be careful, little lips, what you say, for empty words and promises lead broken hearts astray. The journey from your mind to your hands is shorter than your thinking. Our trouble always starts here. Always. Be careful if you think you stand, you just might be sinking. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Never. Daddies never crumble in a day. Families never crumble in a day. Marriages never crumble in a day. Believers never crumble in a day. It is a slow fade. It's a drifting. And I'm telling you this morning, we must be careful. Some of you folks in this room will not be here next year. You won't be. Because you're drifting. And again, it's not a renunciation of your faith. It is slowly detaching yourself from the gospel until it ceases to have any influence in your life whatsoever. This is not important anymore. And then finally this morning, be active. That's what he says. Pay close attention to what you've heard. Okay? Like today, pay attention to what was just said. Pay attention to what's said every week. Pay attention when you read the word. Pay attention when you hear the word. Listen to what's being said. Some of you folks, you're really good at coming and shutting me off as soon as I start. Because you've heard it. Some of you heard it for 18 years now. Blah, blah. It's like Charlie Brown. Right? And you can do that. But I'm telling you, don't do that. Because it's not me you ought to be listening to. It's the word of God you ought to be listening to. And we ought to pay attention to it. Listen with purpose. Okay, lunch break. Okay, we're almost there. Be careful. Be active. Listen. Be active in looking at our life. Christian, listen to me. What are you actively pursuing right now? When we talk about this great salvation, which is great, we can't even describe the greatness of this salvation. In light of the greatness of this salvation, what are we pursuing? Really? And again, quit with the pet answers of Jesus. For most of us, that's not the case. We are pursuing everything other than him. Everything. And I'm telling you, when we do that, it's just a matter of time before my love for him wanes. That's the way relationships work. If everything else is catching my attention, then guess what? The thing I'm supposed to love is left in the shadows. Be active. What are we pursuing? Money, work, stuff. Jesus. And then review over and over again. It's amazing to me to hear the writers of the New Testament say things like this. I just want to remind you, I want to stir you up again. 
I know you've heard this. I want to tell you again. Do you know why they say that? Because we forget. I mean, we really, we don't think. And so, let me encourage us, we, that we will pay attention lest we drift. Because this great salvation is a salvation that for eternity we will praise him for. And it's worth everything. Christian, are you drifting? And you might not think it's just a little, it's a little, it's just a degree. I promise you this, one degree over time will never get you where you want to go, ever. We must make adjustments. When our kids were all learning to drive, and I'm sure your kids, and maybe you do this as well, but they're in the car, and, and, and I, we had some bad drivers, actually. The boys were kind of bad drivers. Gregory would go around a corner, and he'd be scared, so he'd put, get more gas. It was terrifying. Just literally terrifying. David almost ended up on someone's lawn one time, right? And AJ, who knows what that kid was doing, right? But what happens is you're driving down the road, and you're starting to go on the gravel, and all of a sudden you make these huge adjustments, Right? Bad idea. It's a bad idea. You're better to continually make small adjustments. No one drives like this for very long because you're going to go off the road, right? We make small adjustments. My friend, listen to me, and I'm serious. My heart breaks for our church people. It breaks for me. I am prone to wander. I am prone to drift. And what we must do is Pay attention, take heed, understand this is the truth. And when we start to drift, we must make adjustments. So today, believer, adjust. Adjust. And the way we do that is by clearly seeing who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. Because when I see his face for his glory and his beauty, everything else pales in comparison. And that's our problem. These believers were ready to quit. Why? Because they had compromised the person of Jesus. They have minimized it. They thought it was no big deal. Yeah, I'll add Jesus. But you don't add Jesus. Jesus doesn't get added to anything. Jesus is Jesus, right? We serve him and him alone. And we see his beauty. It will enable us not only to endure, but to endure with joy and gladness, whatever we face in this life. So, my dear brother and sister, take heed. Pay attention. Because Jesus is better. And because he is, be careful. Don't drift by neglecting this great salvation. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this warning. Lord, we feel in our hearts this propensity to drift, to be sidetracked, to look at the winds and the waves and to get our eyes off of you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be an do an honest assessment of our own hearts and lives this morning. If we have drifted and we've already sensed it, may we come home. And if we're starting to drift, Lord, may we see Jesus clearly and repent and come home. And Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, if they died today, they don't know that heaven's their home, maybe they've been trusting their religion or their good works or their church membership or their baptism, Lord, help them to see clearly it's Jesus, only Jesus. We don't add, we don't subtract. He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
May today be the day that they come to a saving knowledge of Christ. So, Lord, we give this invitation to you, trusting that you will do what is right. In Jesus' name, amen.